0: You're listening to The Feed.
1: This is The Feed.
0: This is The Feed. The Feed. You're listening to The Feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to The Feed in Vaughn.
1: In
2: Stouffville.
3: In Woodbridge. In Unionville. This is the feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer with York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues, events and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. Coming up, stories of the pandemic. Authors from 4 to 95 years of age. Also ahead, budget tips during these unusual economic times. But we begin at Queen's Park. Well, the Ontario government has been hard at work since COVID-19 overtook took our province, our country, and the world. Pravmeet Sarkaria is the Associate Minister of Small Business and Red Tape Reduction for the Ministry of Economic Development, Job Creation, and Trade, also MPP Brampton South. He joins us now on the feed. Those are long titles for you, and I know you've been hard at work for many months. Thanks for joining us on the feed.
2: Thank you so much for having me, and I really appreciate the opportunity to to have this conversation.
3: The first time I came across your name was tackling the barriers. It was a, a portal that allowed businesses to reach out to you and let them know what it is that they were struggling with at the early stage of the pandemic. What was the result of that?
2: Yeah, that was something. You know, we you know I had the opportunity to hold about 80 roundtables across since COVID has emerged, and the impact on our small businesses has been. Um, you know, unfortunately, they're, they're bearing the brunt uh, of this uh, pandemic. And so we wanted to find out a way that we could help out some of our small businesses. So we launched the Tackling the Barriers uh, webpage. You know, where our government has always been, since day one, committed to reducing the regulatory burdens on businesses. And we wanted to find a way to truly really help them out. So we put out a, a Tackling the Barriers webpage. We got instantly, we were getting hundreds and hundreds of requests where businesses thought, you know, the government could help them out and allow them to pivot into areas they might not have traditionally been able to do so we've received today to date over 1200 submissions some of the work that we've been able to do is you know enabling trucks to deliver 24-7 to keep food and other necessary supplies on store shelves before you had restrictions uh, on when trucks could travel into certain areas because of obvious um, issues but in given the supply chain um, uh, issues that arose at that time we you know we had to make some very quick uh, temporary changes we um, you know also around switching to off-peak time of use electricity rates given that how many people were staying at home and working and, and some of the ones that really helped out to some of our small business restaurant owners was allowing them uh, to sell uh, alcohol with their uh, takeout orders, which uh, originally would never be allowed. So uh, neat little things we were able to do, small little uh, items, some larger than others, uh, that uh, were able to bring a, a bit of help uh, to businesses that have been really struggling through this pandemic.
3: There have been so many ways that you have reached out to businesses in Ontario and they reaching out to you. What do you think of their innovation and their creativity when it comes to how they are willing to pivot and and turn themselves into a different kind of business.
2: It's truly, you know, it it highlights the entrepreneurial spirit in Ontario. We had a, you know, the premier made a call out to as many businesses in the first days of um, the COVID uh, pandemic when we knew, we didn't really know what we were up to, but we knew that there was a a certain shortage of certain supplies in the PPE uh, realm. And what did we see? We saw, you know, companies across this province pivot almost automatically you had um, uh, distillers that were making hand sanitizers. You had auto manufacturers or uh, those in the auto industry retooling their lines to help make ventilators, to help make masks, to help make face shields. So it was almost incredible to see the amount of, of uh, entrepreneurial spirit that really took over in those days. It's been a very tough time for a lot of these businesses. Some of them aren't able to pivot, but uh, you know some of these examples that we've seen across the province uh, have really turned some of these businesses into a success story, and uh, you know, we launched the uh, Ontario Together portal to help promote that, and, and you know, we want to see that to continue, uh, and we want to be there for that gut. We want to get out of the way of business owners across this province to, you know, allow them and give them the tools they need to, to get back on their feet, and we'll do anything we can to make sure that happens.
3: So here's the question. Yes, you're supportive of businesses, and you're giving them everything they can and they, that they need, that you can, but what about the consumer? You know, there is a question mark when it comes to confidence, there's a question mark when it comes to the ability to keep the economy going by spending money in it?
2: That's a great question. And consumer confidence is the key to economic recovery. And I think there's many ways that we can kind of help with that. Uh, You know, one being making sure that we as a government lead by example and instill That confidence within the marketplace. We want, Uh, and one of the things that we've launched as a segue from that has been given that, you know, many people are uh, are a bit hesitant to to, to get out uh, and, and go back to their normal routines, has been. You know, following uh, the guidelines of our medical health office, uh, officials and officers, and, and you know, making sure that the necessary protocols are in place. There's limits on capacity. There are limits on, you know, how many people can be inside a certain uh, area. That is all a part of building the confidence to allow people to have the, the ability to go back and shop. And so, as we look forward in the next couple of weeks, months, days, ensuring that consumer confidence and continues to increase is going to be a key part of that. And, and we've launched several campaigns around. That that one being the Shop Local campaign as well.
3: Another investment aspect of keeping the economy going, shoring it up, and having it move forward, is something that you have put forward the government recently. It's called Invest Ontario. It's a new investment attraction agency. What's that all about?
2: This is going to be a really exciting game changer for the province of Ontario. And really, to get an understanding of this, uh, you know, uh, new institution to a certain extent, uh, agency that uh, the government will be creating is to focus on making sure. We have an open-for-business climate. We've seen report after report. We've seen businesses, you know, leave the province to, to invest in other jurisdictions. Right now we've got, even in Canada, we've got fierce competition among provinces, whether it's Quebec and other provinces, uh, both east and west of us. We've got uh, the Great Lakes states, whether it's Michigan, Ohio, uh, that are competing for business daily with us, and they're even poaching businesses from Ontario. So this is really an investment tra- attraction agency, almost as if we're going to be um, – uh, hunting, to a certain extent, if we want to put it that way, for opportunities to bring better jobs, good jobs right here in the province, and even Ontario companies, how can we help them do better and and get them to expand? You know, one of the great things that we've been working on and one of the, you know, deficiencies we might have recognized earlier before pre-COVID was that only 5% of Ontario's SMEs were actually exporting. So as we come towards solutions and how do we expand Ontario's market, how do we expand businesses and and their marketplace and and their revenues, uh, we think there's huge potential we go international with some of our SMEs uh, and push them towards more export oriented um, businesses and customers as well. So a lot of great work that's going to be able to happen there, but primarily will be focused on uh, maintaining and, and bringing in new jobs to the province, good paying jobs to the province of Ontario and the people of Ontario.
3: Ontario is a huge province. How challenging has that been? Just the landscape of it, if you will, but also the fact that it, things had to be looked at regionally as opposed to just one big province.
2: Yeah, and that's been quite the significant undertaking. We look at this province, and you look at you look at the issues in each province. And I think you know it was great that we were able to get to a regional approach and reopening, because there were some areas of this province that haven't been impacted by COVID or very minimally impacted, but they were seeing quite the significant restrictions being placed on them. So primarily, we always want to focus on safety and prioritize that over anything. But when we look at different regions, you know. There North is significantly different economically than southwestern Ontario. The southwestern Ontario is significantly different than Ottawa's market. So that's why it was really critical for us to have the opportunity to get out there, uh, host you know close to 80 roundtables already uh, with business leaders across many regions and sectors to really understand what those concerns were, to really understand. You know where the government needs to do to help those specific regions because we couldn't take and we can't take a, we can't afford to take a cookie cutter approach uh, to an issue this uh, big and complex.
3: How is the Ontario government preparing for a possible second wave?
2: I think right now what uh, you know we want to stress to everybody is to really ensure that we're following all the protocols and guidelines. and we think if we're as individuals. The people of Ontario have done such an incredible job. Just look south of the border and compare us to some of our friends down south and what we've been able to accomplish. I think it's critical that we still, as we open up the economy, we still hold true to, you know, our uh, the recommendations of our uh, officials, our health officials. When we talk about restrictions and gatherings that will continue, and even in the stage three uh, approach, uh, not to violate those. When we, when we talk about, you know, physical distancing, uh, social Circles, when we talk about these elements. You know, it's really critical that uh, we continue to follow those guidelines put out by our, you know, in conjunction with our health officials, so we don't get to a, you know, a, a part where we're we're going to be doing what we potentially might have had to do uh, in this past uh, couple months ago. But I think critically, um, what we have done now, what we've learned now, will be a very big help for us as we move forward and continue uh, to monitor the situation as it uh, evolves.
3: And we never want to be without the proper equipment that you know is so necessary when a wave moves through a province like Ontario.
2: That's exactly right and that's why we've uh, you know launched the Ontario Together Portal. We've put over $50 million for businesses that wanted to retool their assembly lines, retool their lines to build PPE. I think now more than ever we have to build a domestic strong domestic production uh, of PPE to ensure that we have uh, a supply chain that's not vulnerable. What we saw a couple months ago was a vulnerable supply chain. We saw that of the border tried to limit our access to PPE and Premier Ford promised, uh, you know, to the people of Ontario that we would never be in that situation ever again. Uh, and so that's why I'm very proud of, of the, the, the domestic supply chain that we've been able to create over the past couple of um, months so quickly and, and just once again leveraging the entrepreneurial spirit of this province um, and the ingenuity of the, the people of this province uh, that stepped up to the plate and really took this upon themselves and, and made an opportunity from that.
3: On a very personal note, what was it like welcoming a baby girl during a global pandemic?
2: It was one of the greatest experiences of my life, and I'm so thankful for it. The one silver lining through this uh, very tough time uh, for many uh, business owners, for the people of Ontario, for me personally, it was the birth of my baby daughter. We named her Deva. She has no idea what she's been uh, born into, but uh, when she grows up uh, and she's looking at all the window visits and all the masks, I'm sure she will be very um, keen on, on learning about the, the moment she was born. And so she's born in the middle of the pandemic, but she's been an absolutely bright light for, for us and our family and has really helped us get through this. And it's been, honestly, the, the, the greatest experience. And I, I really hope that um, it really gives you actually a, a different lens on how to uh, how you interact, uh, how you make decisions, and how you think, and I think that's such a critical part—a uh, critical part of, uh, of life as well. Uh, and taking that next step, I'm very thankful for the opportunity, and I'll do anything and everything I can to make sure the world she grows up in, the province she grows up in, is in a better shape than it was when she got here.
3: And what do you think the world that she will grow up in here in Ontario will look like? And the other wee ones that were born during the pandemic—what is their new normal for us, but their normal? what's it going to be?
4: That's a great
2: question. And I, I you know, I, we don't really know how long we will be in this situation. I think Minister Elliott and the health officials continue to really struggle with that question in terms of, you know, how can we, when can we expect a vaccine? When can we expect ourselves to get to that normal level again? So when I look at my daughter, you know, sometimes I uh, I wonder if she's going to be able to experience everything I had the opportunity to experience when I was a younger kid and how behaviors have changed significantly, how this world has significantly changed and i think there will be a difference but it's it's going to be about making a, the most of that and uh, making um, sure that she has every opportunity in this world to do whatever she wants to do or whatever she puts her mind to i think that is imperative and i think that's every parent's goal is to make sure they give their children the best uh, upbringing possible and every opportunity they could dream of to become a reality
3: proud Sarkaria the Associate Minister of Small Business and Red Tape Reduction for the Ministry of Economic Development, Job Creation and Trade, and New Dad, thank you for joining us on The Feed.
2: Thank you so much, Erin. I really appreciate it.
3: Time now for our first break on The Feed. When we come back, how to make your money work for you. This is 105.9 The Region. Welcome back. I'm Ann Romer. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Recent studies suggest that COVID-19 has us rather worried about more than just our health. Most of us put our financial well-being near the top of that list as well. These next couple of stories could provide some money sense. Well, Sandra Martin joins us right now on The Feed. Editor-in-Chief, Money Sense. And we're trying to make sense of our money, uh, if we have any at this point. Hi, Sandra. Thanks for being a part of The Feed. Hi, Anne. It's my pleasure to be here. So we are still feeling the effects of the pandemic when it comes to our health, our lifestyle, and certainly our finances. Why would now be, in your opinion, the time to take stock of who we are and what we have financially?
5: I think for a lot of Canadians, now is the time where they've just started to feel a real pinch. So a lot of us are covering things from month to month. We've had a paycheck coming in. We've been able to cover cover our minimum payments at the very least on our credit cards, we're covering our mortgage or our rent, but all it takes for so many of us is for one, uh, one of our partners to lose a job or for us to go down from five days a week to four days a week of work because our employer needs to save some money. That's when you start to realize, wow, I am very close to the edge in how my finances are working or not working for me. So now's a really good time to take a look at what is it that I actually need to spend money on? So how much money do I need to earn coming in every month to cover my housing, food, and other essentials? Let's just keep aside the things that we want to spend money on for the time being. What is it that we need? And understand, am I earning that much right now? Do I have a deficit? And then going from there, because this is a wake-up call for a lot of us. We were doing okay before, and now that things have tightened, we're realizing, "Mm, this is not really a, a comfortable place
3: to be in. What advice have you for Canadians who have been taking advantage of what's been offered to them by uh, the federal government programs like CERB, for instance, if they are going back to work and they're not being uh, given this benefit, how do you come to terms with being given money but now having to go back out and earn it?
5: We talk to a lot of Canadians through the comments on our website and our social media every day, and our sense is that most of them are happy to go back to work, most people have not really been comfortable with having to apply for COVID, but it's been COVID relief through CERB or or other relief um, options, but it's been a necessity for them to pay their bills. The thing to keep in mind is if you've been receiving CERB or or other forms of benefit, you're going to have to be prepared to pay tax on it. It's not money that was given with no strings, unfortunately. So financial planning, once you start earning a salary again, is going to be really important. So if you haven't been in the habit of putting away money, even if it's ten or twenty dollars a paycheck. Now's a really good time to
6: start doing that.
3: Let's talk about three different things that make people's hair stand on end: debt, budget, but also saving. That can make people very nervous as well. So let's start with debt. What advice have you if one has a lot of debt?
5: A lot of people have shame around debt. At the same time as debt is very free and easy to acquire, once people start to feel out of control with it, they get embarrassed and they tend to not seek out help. This is something that we hear a lot also at Money Sense. So if you're feeling a bit out of control, there are lots of different organizations that can help you reach out, whether it's a credit counseling agency, even just going to your bank and saying, hey, I'm feeling a pinch right now. What are some of my options so that you can get that back under control? So whether it's looking at a a different arrangement for your mortgage, spreading out your payments over a larger number of years, at least for the next little while, so that your individual payments are more affordable and you're able to cover other forms of debt servicing that you're responsible for, you can't do it alone. So, reach out, get help, find out what your options are, and really get that under control before it's wildly out of control.
3: Let's talk about the big bad B word, budget. (laughs) That's something that has been drilled into (laughs) us since we were very young. Have a budget, stay on budget. It's tough. It is so hard. I don't like to use the word budget myself because it
5: implies restriction. And a better way to look at it is thinking about what do I need and want my money to do for me. And when you look at changing your spending habits based on that choice, I'm making a choice so that my money does for me what I really want it to do, it's a bit easier. So it goes back to what I mentioned earlier, understanding what it is you are responsible for covering every month. How much money do I need to have coming in month to month to cover the necessities all right, how much do I have left over and what do I want and need that money to do for me? It's a. It's kind of like a budget. It's not that different but other, rather than saying you're not allowed to have avocado toast ever now that you, know, you can order an avocado toast on a patio in Ontario um, or you can never have coffee out, it's looking at it for you know, what is it that's important to me? What do I want my money to do? Okay, maybe that avocado toast once a month really is that important to me because it's a treat that I work really hard for. That's okay. You don't have to cut things out. I think with budgeting we're we're often told that we're we feel like we're bad people because we enjoy spending money. I mean that's human money isn't bad. Spending money isn't bad. It's, it's spending money with no plan for it is what's dangerous.
3: And let's talk about saving. You know, Do you try to save while you're paying down debt? And if you are saving, where do you put it? So, great, great question. If your debt has a higher
5: interest rate than any kind of savings that you're in a position to put aside, it's better to pay down the debt than to put the savings aside. So I think some of us are very hard wire to try to put away, I'm going to aim to put away 10% of my net income every month. But if you have 19.99% credit card debt that you're servicing, the savings are not really helping you. You're just like a hamster on a wheel servicing that credit card debt and and very, very slowly chipping away at the principal. Uh, so you're better off drilling down and trying to pay down that debt. And instead of putting away savings, it might be better in that situation to have something like a line of credit that you're not paying interest on unless you use, that you have available for emergencies. If you're not in the position of paying down expensive debt or you've got some extra money, it it is an important idea to try to create an emergency fund uh, at the very least. So money that you have aside for things like I wasn't expecting the transmission to drop out of the car and I'm not in a position to buy a new car. You want to have money aside so that you're not having to draw down debt to pay for those surprise expenses. The roof leaks, things like that happen in life. It's part of life. So it's great to make use of the TFSA, the Tax-Free Savings Account. for are lots of different things that you can put in there, not just savings, uh, which have a quite a low interest rate if you're you even you're using a high-interest savings account high interest is kind of a misnomer in that we're looking at often you know 1 to 2% if you're lucky sometimes even less than that you want to look at mixing up your investments so you have diversification you got some of it that's safe and available to you. It's called liquid in uh, financial speak, but also some investments that are going to earn you more over the long term that you don't hopefully have to touch for a little while. So things like exchange traded funds, um, which if you set up an online brokerage account, you don't have to pay a fee to buy. And if you hold it for the long term, uh, they'll fluctuate with the market. So there will be ups and downs. There's some risk involved with that, but Over the long term, they tend to do better than things like uh, actively managed mutual funds, which have very high fees that take away from your earnings. So mix it up. But, again, getting some help, whether it's going to a website like moneysense.ca, talking to your bank, talking to a financial planner, if you're feeling overwhelmed, not doing anything isn't going to help. So reach out
3: and get some help. Quick rapid fire, one word of advice for each of these three stages in life. So the first, short and sweet, the student. Okay, can
5: I say like three or four words?
3: <laughs> yes. Apply. Yes. <laughs> apply for
5: aid. It's amazing how much, how many bursaries, grants, and scholarships are available to students outside of what's available when you apply through your provincial government so reach out to your school do a google search it doesn't cost you anything to apply and you could find that you're getting a lot more aid
3: young families uh both or just one in the family earning your advice to them
5: save you know be conscious of what's going out understand what your essential expenses are and make a plan to set aside money
3: Preparing for retirement or already retired. Best advice, Sandra.
5: Assess your plan. Some people have a dream of you know like living on a yacht. Remember those Freedom 55 commercials. That may not be realistic. So set a realistic plan that's based on truly what you've been able to put aside, and knowing that things like the Canada Pension Plan are still going to be available to
3: you. One last question, and this one's from me. We're all thinking that it is a pretty much a lock that there will be a second wave. What's the best way to both physically and emotionally prepare for this?
5: So understanding that maybe you weren't in a great place with the first wave, especially if you suffered job loss in your household. Learning from it, not feeling guilty, and going into it with a plan. So understanding things could get tougher. What can I do realistically? What's within my power? Once once you have a plan, you feel less powerless. And you're also growing your savings, growing your awareness and and understanding your spending patterns so that you can make it through in
3: a better state. You make so much sense. Sandra Martin, Editor-in-Chief Money Sense, thank you so much for joining us on the feed. Anytime.
7: The pandemic has had a devastating impact on the economy. Every place of business, every employee, all workflow has changed. To help us understand maybe where we've been and perhaps how to come out of it is Michael Yasny, President of Money Consultants. Thank you for joining us on the feed, Michael.
4: Thank you for having me.
7: So let's start with what are you hearing from business professionals at this stage of the game?
4: I'm hearing that they're scared to open up because of the costs training um the wonder whether the clients will come back, the restrictions on how many customers can come into their place of business at any one time so they're they're nervous about that and They are confused on what they should do, so they are going, hopefully, to their lawyer and their accountant and maybe a business mentor, broker, uh, somebody they have confidence in, to form a team of consultants to help them decide how to open up, and whether it's worthwhile opening up. Right now, they're concerned with their creditors, so that's where the lawyer comes into play to make sure that the creditors who are maybe possibly threatening them are actually doing it legally. Also looking at their lease, as well as an accountant, they're going to get a financial plan so that if they are negotiating with their creditors, they can show their creditors how they're going to be able to pay them back, as well as how they're going to move forward on their business. And the business broker helps to negotiate a lot of these things for the client.
7: Well, we can certainly understand their anxiety during this time. And, you know, how do they handle the costs, the training, when you don't have any cash
4: flow? Well, that's why you have the team and you have to make a real, you have to make a business decision. It's very hard when you own a business because it's an emotional situation. But that's why if you have your team you make a business decision and now you decide whether you're going to possibly borrow money, take it out of your savings, or apply for more credit from your from your suppliers that you have now, and that's where you have to have a plan on how you're going to move forward if somebody's going to extend you more credit. So a plan is very important.
7: Now the other part of the scenario is gaining back consumer confidence. How do you do that?
4: Well, if you've always had good clients who have been coming to you, they're prepared to give you the opportunity to show them that you're doing things properly according to the government guidelines. And that's really what you have to concentrate on, is making sure they understand you're doing everything possible to keep them safe, as well as your own employees safe at your place of business. And if you're doing that and you're showing that, your clients are going to come back. Uh, How fast and how strong, I'm not sure, but they are going to come back. They're going to give you the opportunity. But if they sense that you're not following the guidelines, they're not going to come back. So it's really important to make sure that you understand the guidelines and you post those guidelines, even though you hear it all the time, wear a mask, wear gloves, sanitize. Those are things that you have to stress to your customers coming in, having a line, not letting too many people into your place of business. These are things that will give confidence to the consumer coming back. And the thing that I've been hearing just in general is consumers want to come back to, to small businesses in their area. They want to support them, whether it's restaurants or retail. They want to support them, but they want to feel safe supporting them.
7: And is that where the training comes in, is to keep consumers safe as well as employees?
4: Yes, and that's really up to the the owner of the business to make sure that not only do they have all the information from the government, but they actually spend the time and effort to make sure that their employees understand and participate in that training and making sure that they continue to do it every day. And you see it in bigger stores, and now you're going to have to see it in smaller places that all the employees have masks on. All the employees are taking care of the customer carefully. Uh, There's always hand sanitization everywhere in the store for people to use. People will feel comfortable. I was just at a store. Everybody was comfortable being in that store because it was laid out properly. That's what's important is that the employees have to buy into – The training and the owner has to make sure that the employees follow all the rules. And that will help them succeed as they go forward.
7: You talked about what you're hearing from consumers. What about those business owners? How many of them do you think are not going to survive this?
4: I think there's going to be... um, quite a few of them that will not survive and that's because they have not planned properly. They're not, they could be ignoring their creditors who are calling up the landlord who they haven't paid, suppliers they haven't paid. And my advice to them is do not ignore those phone calls. Speak to your your creditors, your landlord, your suppliers because they're the ones that are going to actually keep you in business.
7: If our listeners want to connect with you, how can they do that?
4: They can uh, go to my website, Money Consultants. Dot ca, and from there, they can contact me, either send me an email from the website or call me from the website.
7: Michael, as we wrap up, what is the one takeaway? What do you want our listeners, those business owners, our employees to remember? From our conversation today
4: they're entrepreneurs they take risks but they take calculated risks so it's important to speak with your team to make the proper business decision now and for the future that decision may be to go forward and, and ramp up your business or maybe to close down the business now and maybe look for an opportunity down the road speak to your team Make a business decision and not an emotional decision. And your team will help you make that business decision. And that's what I'd like people to take away from today's conversation.
7: Michael Yasney, President of Money Consultants, thank you for joining us on the feed.
4: Thank you very much for having me.
3: When we come back, a dating app for the new normal. That story next. The <laughs> the feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer, Afua Ba, next with a new way to date in these unusual times.
8: Well, now that we're getting into the rhythm of a new normal during COVID-19, some are wondering how they can meet that special someone in this new day of age. Well, cue Filter Off, a new dating app that challenges the traditional online dating format during the COVID-19 era. So, joining me today to chat about what the app is all about is co-founder of Filter Off, Zach Schlein. Zach, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It is our pleasure. Okay, so I'm not going to uh, keep the listeners waiting. Uh, Basically, before we get into what Filteroff is, uh, talk to me about why you started this app in the first place.
0: Yeah, sure. So I would use dating apps, and it took a lot of time to meet someone. A lot of swiping, uh, back and forth messaging when you finally match, and then Finally exchanging numbers and finally meeting. And this is a very long funnel. And then when you finally meet, oftentimes when you meet them instantly, when you sit down, you realize it's not a fit. So I really wanted to make a app where it was video first because I started realizing that's the most efficient and authentic way of meeting someone.
8: Awesome. Okay, so then talk to me then. You're giving me the video format. So just give me a little bit more detail about how Filter Off exactly works.
0: Yeah, so Filter Off is a video speed dating app. We offer virtual events, and we offer a matchmaker service. Basically how it works is once you create your profile and add your preferences, Let's say you join a virtual event, you RCP to that event, and 45 minutes before the event, you'll receive a text message to confirm your attendance. And then once you say confirm, you're scheduled date. So again, all the work is done for you. You just need to show up. And these dates, they're blurred photos, but you can see their names, some fun facts, and bio about your upcoming date. And from there, when the date begins, you press start video, and you're entered into a FaceTime style chat. And you proceed from there. And if it's if you like them and they like you, you're entered into a match. We could send video messages, you can in-app message, or even video call them to continue the date.
8: Oh, okay, so this is like a virtual speed dating type of thing, right?
0: Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and even even um, our matchmaker service, we send you really curated dates. So we send three to five really curated dates a week. So that could be also based off of your religion, your ethnicity. And also just like your compatibility and likability as well. Our goal is really just to get you in front of another human, right? And go on video and you see if you vibe. And if you don't, it's a very short amount of time. Our events are 100 seconds per date. Our matchmakers three minutes per date. But if you do vibe, now you just saved yourself a ton of time and you go from there on a real date.
8: I going to flip over and play devil's advocate on the other side, though. But what will you say to those who may argue that three minutes isn't enough to make a connection? How long basically does that sort of filter off like the speeding date happen? How long do you have? Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. And then uh, what would you say to those people who might say that's not enough time to really get to know someone? Yeah,
0: so it, it's really just a way to see if you vibe, if you have chemistry. And if you do, you could then jump back in and have a long, proper speed date. So it's less about having the first day and more to see if you vibe. And science does say uh, that it really only takes three seconds to see if you like someone so it's, it's less about a proper first date and it's more about do i see myself wanting to see this
8: person again okay that's fair enough i can i can do that and i probably shouldn't have i think i've taken a little bit less time than that before i said nope you're off the list you're off the list I Was being a little bit too judgmental then all yeah. right <laughs> okay um is there any age restrictions um to this dating app
0: yes 18 plus But we have all ages, like in terms of when it's above 18. So our median age is actually, surprisingly, it's 37. So we have people literally who are uh, all the way up to 70 to as young as 18. So it's a really nice array, a wide array of ages. And that's the beauty of the matchmaker and our events. We take age preference and gender interest into consideration. So you'll only be matched with people based off of your age preference.
8: What would you say to maybe those who might be you know, a little bit apprehensive and say, well, how is Filter Off different from other traditional dating apps that are online right now?
0: First of all, I feel you, right? Like, dating apps are exhausting. Um, They can be just draining mentally, and it feels kind of just wrong to just swipe on someone based off what they look like and all i ask is like hey we're literally changing how people date it's a whole new paradigm it's video first it's very little amount of time we do the work for you we send you the date you just need to show up it's an experience we see people doing their makeup beforehand drinking a glass of wine it really is an experience And that's what makes it so much fun. And you may have those, like, first aid jitters because that's kind of what it is. So, yeah, I mean, I would just say give it a go. It's free and not much time required.
8: There you go. Three minutes and all you have to do is show up. I think that's that's doable at the very least. Okay. And um, any success stories that you've heard about so far?
0: So, we actually just had an engagement. So, I'm super pumped. Our first engagement. I mean, that's what it's all about. Just creating really authentic connection. And hopefully more and more people will uh, find one another in the app and get married and go from there. So yeah, I mean, it, it's exciting to see. I mean, I was speaking to a user the other day and he's like, just asking him about the matchmaker feature. And he's like, guess what? I'm actually driving right now. I'm going on a filter update. I was like, wow, it's amazing. So yeah, I mean, our goal is really just to create that connection. Like we want you to find your person and um, it's been really exciting and it's and it's a fairly new app, so it's, it's really cool to see that people are actually meeting in a socially distanced and safe manner, so it's exciting.
8: Awesome. Well, I'm super happy to hear about that engagement. Congratulations to that couple, whomever and wherever they are, and of course, and the other person that was driving up to meet that uh, significant other, so that's great news to hear. And then you were mentioning about connection, and let's just uh, follow up on that. Can you talk to me about, of course, the importance of emotional connection, especially during this COVID-19 time?
0: Yeah, so especially now, people feel really disconnected. They feel really alone. And I think when you have video, again, it's a really authentic manner. And people have started, video, people are embracing now because, I mean, at work, using different platforms like Zoom, Google Hangouts. But it, so now if it, people want that true, authentic connection. Video is here to say because that's what people crave, and um, that's what it's really about. And when you're when you text someone, it's a very different experience versus jumping on a video call with another human. And that's what we're trying to promote and um, enable people to do on Filter Off.
8: I agree. And I think the video, I think that just provides another layer. I mean, as you just mentioned, I mean, just texting, I could probably have the most angriest of faces and be texting you the sweetest of words. But you can't really fool me if I can see you face to face. (laughs) So that's definitely a great point you made there. So, of course, um, then how can uh, interested users sign up? So we're
0: on the Google Play Store, we're on the Apple App Store, so, or you could just go to our website, get filter off, and install the app. Both App Stores and it's free, so jump on and join an event, sign up for the Matchmaker service, and, and I'm, we're also always open to feedback. We're literally pushing up updates, uh, twice a week about, so we're really committed to making this the best dating app for people to actually meet one another.
8: Zach, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon and, of course, talking to me about this great new dating app and uh, uh, making more emotional connections one click at a time. Appreciate it. Thank you.
3: Many have said that one of the few benefits of this pandemic has been the appreciation for family and friends. Amber Pay is next with a local filmmaker who tells the story of a man finding comfort in his roots. Sean Cisterna
9: is a filmmaker from right here in York Region, and he joins us on the feed now to talk about his film, From the Vine. Thank you so much for joining us.
10: Oh, such a pleasure to be here, Amber.
9: You know, I watched the movie the other night, absolutely thought it was so lovely and charming. And I was going to sort of set up about talking about what it was about. But why don't you tell us what the movie's about?
10: From the Vine is the story of uh, Marco Gentile. He's this downtrodden CEO who suffers a moral crisis and retreats to his hometown in southern Italy, where he discovers a vineyard on its dying legs and Marco Uses his business skills to kind of rejuvenate the town and um, and support the the local townspeople into uh, running a burgeoning winery and, and vineyard. And uh, yeah, it's a charming movie shot in Southern Italy and here in uh, York Region as well.
9: Right here, and it was it Vaughan City Hall that you used for his office?
10: That's right, yeah. Bond City Hall stands in for Santius Automotive. And um, yeah, it's this awesome, modern, gorgeous facility. I don't, I'm sure many of you have seen it. And it, um, it really is a, a architectural marvel. We really like, love shooting there.
9: It was lovely. And Marco Gentili is played by the amazing Emmy Award winning Joe Pantoliano, or Joey Pants, as we like to call him. And most of us know him from The Sopranos, or from, for me more, because I actually didn't watch The Sopranos But it was The Fugitive with Harrison Ford. Oh, yeah. And he's, I absolutely adore him. He's one of my favorite character actors. How, how did this all come together?
10: I'm with you. I, I love Joe. Uh, I've seen him in, in everything. Um, I, Yeah, I forgot, but he was in The Fugitive. I mean, he, he just sort of pops <laughs> up in all the movies. He's <laughs> um, everywhere. What I loved him was from uh, Memento. I don't think you saw that movie. It's I kind of told that. in reverse. Joey, we just wrote him a, a nice, impassioned letter and said, uh, you know, we'd love to, you know, we're a small Canadian film, but we'd love to. Bring you to Canada to shoot a few scenes, and then spend the rest of our time in glorious southern Italy. <laughs> would you, would you be interested in, in part, partaking in this journey with us? And he, luckily, he loved the script and, and hopped on board.
9: Oh, he was fantastic! And I know that uh, there was uh, Wendy Crewson. From Canada, very well known here. Uh, I find that she's in so many things as well, and uh, just lovely as his wife, who is just sort of left behind as he, the character Marco, decides that hey, I am, I, I got to get out of here. And I think that there are so many of us that have been there, and how lucky was this character that he actually got to go to Italy to a vineyard and it, it just became involved with a whole cast of different characters. Characters that were fantastic. Local. Uh, residents in Italy were part uh, of the film.
10: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we shot in this small town called Acerenza, which is this uh, two thousand year old town on on top of a mountain in, in southern Italy. And we the, the townspeople were so excited to that this film crew was there. This international film crew was there filming in their in their sleepy little town, and they all wanted to be a part of the movie. So they would line up uh, in the mornings and with the hopes of signing up and being an extra in the background. I mean, here in Toronto, we have to pay people to come out and and sit on the set. Yeah, and being an extra is so boring sometimes that you just sit around all day waiting for a chance to go on. But these people would just um, sign up uh, and and wait for hours just to be a part of the the film. So it was a really magical experience for them as well.
9: It was a magical experience to watch, and the the buildings, uh, the scenery, I mean, everything that I could have ever hoped to to see in your movie came true for me including and I don't know how you did it those little those little nuances those little quirks that I saw in the statues or the little wink here and there or the vines that would speak and kind of taunt Marco Ha ha! How, how does that work? Is that a, an animation thing, or what did you do there?
10: Yeah, that's a that's a technique called magic realism. So, um, oftentimes, or sometimes in films, where um, in, in our particular case, it, it, we use it as a metaphor for when Marx comes back to his his hometown. These old statues come back to life. You know, this this resurgence of this character is uh, providing like a, a renaissance for the town. So. Statues come to life and, and um, little church objects begin to move and like you said, vine leaves begin to talk to them. So it's all just a visual way of representing that uh, rebirth on screen, if you know what I mean.
9: I do. And it's funny because I didn't notice and, and there may have been one or two prior to, but I didn't notice when Marco comes to the train station at first and that statue, the head moves on the statue and it wasn't me. It was my husband that noticed. Noticed it. And I he said, Oh, the head on the statue moved. I said, No it didn't, so we stopped it and rewound it. But and then I was looking for that. I was I loved those little things. And I also loved how you brought a little bit of the Canadian connection in in the songs that uh, were, were sung Not by sure. one, one of the actors, uh, Life is a Highway. And then I didn't know that there was an Italian version of Lost Together by Blue Rodeo. I had no idea.
10: Well, that what, we created that for the film. I was looking for this musical bridge between Canada and Italy, and I couldn't really find anything. So, you know, Lost Together is one of my favorite songs, and I just tried to find a, a person here, a singer here in Canada, who could perform it. And luckily, we found uh, Laura Cava So she's a, a wonderful singer that um, that performed the the track for us, and it turned out beautiful, didn't it?
9: Oh, it was gorgeous. I, I because again, I was sitting there and I said, Oh. <gasps> And I started to sing it in English, like everybody else would. And I said, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe it! This is Lost Together from Blue Rodeo." <laughs> my husband, <laughs> is like, you. what are you doing? It <laughs> like, do you hear? And then he was, "Oh yeah, it is." No, we had a lovely time just just watching it all. And uh, it, it must have been such a magical experience for you. What was your favorite part about being there? I've never been to Italy. Now that I've seen this movie, I have this this pull. I, I do. I have this. I want to go to Atterenza now.
10: For me, um, you know, just the pace of life is different. We're here in Canada, like I'm in the film industry, we're so used to working 14 to 16-hour days on set, and when we, you work with an Italian crew, the the pace is much slower. You have a two-hour lunch, there's wine, you, <laughs> you, pull, you pull the plug at 6 p.m. on a Sunday, and uh, it's the whole pace of life is, is different there. It's just so much more relaxed.
9: And how long were you there for filming?
10: Uh, we did about two weeks of prep work beforehand and three weeks of shooting. Boy, so that, five was, weeks that must have been yeah.
9: so tough.
10: <laughs> no, <it was> hard.
9: <laughs> and the, the, is that the vineyard that you used in the movie? Is that actually a working? Is that I, don't know if I'm correct saying this? Is that a working vineyard? Is that? Is it? yeah. It's
10: um yeah. So they in this uh, in this region in Italy they make one type of wine called Albianico del Vulture. So that's the type of wine featured in our film, and it's uh, you can occasionally get it at the. El LCBO here in, in, in oh. uh, Toronto, but um, it's, uh, yeah, that's the only type of wine they make. So that was the, the vineyard that the shot at is produces grapes that sold at the LCBO. So it's really cool.
9: Oh, it was it was lo- It was such a great movie. It was no Chianti. I heard that. I remember that part. It's not Chianti. Yeah, it's not Chianti. <laughs> but, uh, yes, and it was it's such a beautiful movie. And I hope that uh, people take you know some time and just as a little bit of a release, which was wonderful. It it is. It is a. It's just a, a lovely movie. It's very charming. Uh, it took me away. I, beautiful scenery. You shot it beautifully. It. it you want to check it out. It's called From the Vine. It's available right now, and I saw it on demand. But you can find it at Apple TV, Cineplex, Google, Microsoft, Bell, TELUS, Eastlink, and Kojako as well. Anywhere else you can find it?
10: That's it for now. Yeah, we'll start to expand <laughs> into the United States and internationally later this uh, fall. But no, if, um, I think it's the, the perfect film right now because we're all stuck at home and we can't travel. So this is a, a way to experience travel through our film.
9: Oh, it certainly was. What a gift, Sean. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Sean Sisterna. please check it out. It's called From the Vine, and uh, it's lovely, as are you. Thank you so much.
10: Thank you, Amber.
3: Early on in this pandemic, Markham Public Library set out to create a memory journal that would gather stories from local voices. Jim Lang turns the page on the COVID-19 exhibition.
1: Well, a lot has changed over the last few months with COVID-19. A lot has changed in our world, in the region, and in Markham. And our friends at the Markham Public Library are doing something to to almost uh, document the changes and how it's made us feel. with a really interesting program uh, dealing with poems and stories and short stories from people of all ages in Markham, uh, talking about how the pandemic has affected, and to talk more about it, thrilled to be joined by the community librarian at the Markham Public Library, Margarita Radzovich. Margarita, how are you? I'm very very well, Tim. How are you doing? Well, good. This is. I mean, I like the whole idea of this um, of the a COVID stories exhibition because if you're four, if you're 94. COVID's affected you in some way all in between those age groups.
6: Yes, that's correct. And the exhibit has really allowed individuals from the Markham community of all ages, all backgrounds, um, all occupations to really reflect on how COVID-19 has changed our lives on the micro level. You know, usually those stories may not have been heard.
1: You know, I, I imagine in your position, you run across a lot of great stories, but were there some of these stories that were coming across in submissions that even you and your staff were going, wow, this is pretty impactful?
6: Yes. So, one thing that surprised us specifically was how artistic some of the stories were. So, we've received so many submissions that were poems, that were paintings, that were. Um, you know, video performances, musical performances, and it's amazing to see the community come together and create and publicize these stories for us to really learn from each other's experiences. Um, there are so many wonderful stories that also reflect on the day-to-day lives. And one story that specifically struck me was a story from Sonny, who's 75 years old, and is living with MS in a long-term care facility. And the story began with Sonny accounting on being unable to see her grandchildren for months. just her being upset and not even remembering when the last time she saw her grandchildren was. But the tone really quickly changes to Tony describing what she calls a long birthday. And I'm going to quote Sonny here. And she says, And then it was my birthday. My My grandchildren surprised me by doing a love party and singing happy birthday. But it was windy and crazy. They all froze. And some of the balloons flew away. I believe if it doesn't have balloons then it's not fun. When they unfortunately got liberated, I still enjoyed the balloons. And I think this story was um, a wake-up call for many of us to really change the outlook on how we're viewing the current circumstances, a reminder that we can choose to find the laughter and optimism in our daily lives ourselves.
1: It's also a great reminder, Margarita, that the power of the library, that the, the expressing yourself in word, in poem, in art, in video, is a great way to get your feelings out there and tell your story. And it, and it means a lot to people individually, and I think others gain strength from it.
6: Yes, of course. And the, the purpose of the exhibit is really to preserve that social micro-history for future generations by recording the human experience through these stories as it happens in the moment. Um, And it has a lot of real value today as it helps us build on empathy and really connect with the Markham community through those shared experiences while being a part. And, you know, Markham Public Library really wanted to utilize the known stress-relieving aspects of journaling to help everybody process the emotions and thoughts. But also understanding that everyone is going through a difficult and confusing time and that we're all in this together. And I think as a result, the submitted stories not only preserve experiences of uncertainty, but also serve as a way of healing by providing an outlet for everyone in the Markham community to relieve their stress and anxiety, while also combating social isolation.
1: I think a lot of people listening to you speak, Margarita, are getting quite enticed and excited about this. Can they go to the Markham Library website and check out some of the submissions?
6: Of course. So if you visit markhampubliclibrary.ca, under the What's On tab, you will see COVID Stories Exhibit. And once you view the exhibit, um, you'll be able to see the different categories of the stories, and the stories are really split up into different age groups. And right now, there are over 100 stories, um, believe it or not, on the website. When we first started this initiative in early April, by no means did we imagine to have so many submissions virtually. And the stories vary in themes and tones. You know, you'll be able to find hilarious stories. You'll be able to find raw and emotional stories. We have anything from funny accounts of failed Zoom meetings with <laughs> children in the background, which I'm sure a lot of... Us can relate to.
1: For me, it's my pets, but yeah, continue. Yeah,
6: <laughs> to stories of struggles with mental health, or even stories of being unable to see a loved one in a long-term care facility. Um, we have stories of loved ones passing away because of COVID. So, once you're viewing this exhibit, I really hope that you get to experience the mosaic of these individual stories that reflect on the impact of the pandemic on an individual level. But when you view the whole exhibit together, you start realizing the impact that it has had on the community as a whole.
1: oh well, Margarita, you and your staff should be applauded for such an amazing initiative, and the fact that had over 100 submissions speaks volumes to uh, the impact it's had in the people of markham Unionville. COVID Stories Exhibition, you can be fi- you can find it at the Markham Library website and indulge in and take time. It'll take even a few days. You can look at the elderly stories, the young people, whatever age group from ages from 4 to 95 submitting all these stories and videos and artworks and whatever it is, creative pieces, how COVID affected them. Uh, I highly recommend it. This is an outstanding example of how COVID is making us come together in a good way. Uh, Margarita Radzovich is the community librarian at the Markham Public Library joining us in the feed. Uh, Margarita, thank you so much. Congratulations on a great initiative and uh, what a great way to, to document what Markham has gone through in the last few months with COVID-19.
6: Thank you so much for having me and I hope everybody gets to enjoy the exhibit and really reflect on the changes that we've had in the last couple of months.
1: Here, here. Take care, Margarita.
6: Thank you.
3: If you missed any part of our show, please go to 1059theregion.com or follow us on Twitter at 1059theregion for local news and so much more. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for listening.